0: section six of beacon lights of history volume eleven american founders by john lord this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by k hand george washington part one 1732 to 1799 the american revolution one might shrink from writing on such a subject as general washington were it not desirable to keep his memory and deeds perpetually fresh in the minds of the people of this great country of which he is called the father doubtless the most august name in our history and one of the grandest in the history of the world washington was not like franklin of humble origin neither can he strictly be classed with those aristocrats who inherited vast landed estates in virginia during the eighteenth century and who were ambitious of keeping up the style of living common to wealthy country gentlemen in england at the time and yet the biographers of washington trace his family to the knights and squires who held manors by grant of kings and nobles of england centuries ago about the middle of the seventeenth century john and lawrence washington two brothers of a younger branch of the family both cavaliers who had adhered to the fortunes of charles I, emigrated to virginia and purchased extensive estates in the westmoreland county between the potomac and rappahannock rivers The grandson of one of these brothers was the father of our hero, and was the owner of a moderate plantation on Bridges Creek, from which he removed, shortly after the birth of his son George, in 1732, to an estate in Stafford County, opposite Fredericksburg. It was here that the early years of Washington were passed, in sports and pleasures peculiar to the sons of planters. His education was not entirely neglected, but beyond reading, writing, and arithmetic, his youthful attainments were small. In general knowledge, he was far behind the sons of wealthy farmers in New England at that time, certainly far behind Franklin when a mere apprentice to a printer. But he wrote a fair, neat, legible hand, and kept accounts with accuracy. His half-brother Lawrence had married a relative of Lord Fairfax, who had settled in Virginia on the restoration of Charles the Second. Lawrence was also the owner of the estate of Mount Vernon on the Potomac, the wealthiest member of his family, and a prominent member of the Virginia House of Burgesses. Through his fortunate brother George became intimate with the best families of Virginia. His associates were gentlemen of position, with whom he hunted and feasted, and with whose sisters he danced, it is said, with uncommon grace. In person young Washington was tall, over six feet and two inches, his manners easy and dignified, his countenance urbane and intelligent, his health perfect, his habits temperate, his morals irreproachable, and his sentiments lofty. He was a model in all athletic exercises and all manly sports strong muscular and inured to exposure and fatigue he was quick and impetuous in temper a tendency which he early learned to control he was sullied with none of the vices then so common with the sons of planters and his character extorted admiration and esteem such a young man of course became a favorite in society his most marked peculiarities were good sense and the faculty of seeing things as they are without exaggeration he was truthful practical straightforward and conscientious with an uncommon insight in a man and a power of inspiring confidence i do not read that he was brilliant in conversation although he had a keen relish for the charms of society or that he was in any sense learned or original he had not the qualities to shine as an orator or a lawyer or a literary man neither in any of the learned professions would he have sunk below mediocrity being industrious clear-headed sagacious and able to avail himself of the labors and merits of others as his letters show he became a thoroughly well-informed man in surveying farming stock raising and military matters he read the best authorities often sending to london for them he steadily fitted himself for his life as a country gentleman of virginia and doubtless aspired to sit in the house of burgesses he never claimed to be a genius and was always modest and unassuming with all his self-respect and natural dignity In the middle of the eighteenth century the cultivation of tobacco to which the wealth and enterprise of virginia were directed was not as lucrative as it had been and among the planters aristocratic as they were in sentiments and habits there were many who found it difficult to make two ends meet and some however disdainful of manual labor were compelled to be as economical and saving as new england farmers their sons found it necessary to enter the learned professions or become men of business since they could not all own plantations Washington, whose family was neither rich nor poor, prepared himself for the work of a surveyor for which he was admirably fitted, by his hardihood, enterprise, and industry. Lord Fairfax, who had become greatly interested in the youth, and had made him a frequent companion, giving him the inestimable advantage of familiar intercourse with thoroughbred gentlemen of varied accomplishments, in 1748 sent this sixteen-year-old lad to survey his vast estates in the unexplored lands at the base of the Allegheny Mountains. During this rough expedition, young Washington was exposed to the hostilities of unfriendly Indians, and the fatigues and hardships of the primeval wilderness, but his work was thoroughly and accurately performed, and his courage, boldness, and fidelity attracted the notice of men of influence and rank. Through the influence of his friend, Lord Fairfax, he was appointed a public surveyor, and for three years he steadfastly pursued this laborious profession." A voyage to Barbados in seventeen fifty one cultivated his habits of clear observation, and in seventeen fifty two his brother's death imposed on him the responsibility of the estates and the daughter left to his care by his brother Lawrence. Young Washington had already, through the influence of his brother, been appointed major and adjutant-general of one of the military districts of Virginia the depredations of the french and indians on the border had grown into dangerous aggression and in seventeen fifty three major washington was sent as a commissioner through the wilderness to the french headquarters in ohio to remonstrate his admirable conduct on this occasion resulted in his appointment as lieutenant colonel of the virginia regiment of six companies sent to the ohio frontier and in this campaign washington gained new laurels surprising and defeating the french His native and acquired powers and his varied experience with Indian warfare now marked him out as a suitable aid to the British General Braddock, who early in 1755 arrived with two regiments of English soldiers to operate against the French and Indians. This was the beginning of the memorable Seven Years' War. Washington was now a young man of twenty-three, full of manly vigor and the spirit of adventure, brave as a lion, a natural fighter but prudent and far-seeing he fortunately and almost alone escaped being wounded in the disastrous campaign which the british general lost through his own obstinacy and self-confidence by taking no advice from those used to indian warfare braddock insisted upon fighting foes concealed behind trees as if he were in the open field after the english general's inglorious defeat and death washington continued in active service as commander of the virginia forces for two years until toil exposure and hardship produced an illness which compelled him to withdraw for several months from active service when at the close of the war he returned to private life colonel washington had won a name as the most efficient commander in the whole conflict displaying marvelous resources in the constant perils to which he was exposed Among his exploits was the capture of Port Duquesne, now Pittsburgh, in 1758, which terminated the French domination of the Ohio, and opened up western Pennsylvania to enterprising immigrants. For his rare services, this young man of twenty-six received the thanks of the House of Burgesses, of which he had been elected a member at the close of the war. When he entered that body to take his place, the welcome extended to him was so overwhelming that he stood silent and abashed. But the venerable speaker of the house exclaimed sit down mr washington your modesty equals your valor and that surpasses the power of any language i possess meanwhile mount vernon a domain which extended ten miles along the potomac river fell into washington's possession by the death of his brother lawrence's daughter which made him one of the richest planters in virginia and his fortunes were still further advanced by his marriage in 1759 with the richest woman in the region martha the widow of daniel park custis this lady esteemed his character as much as Kadijah revered mohammed to say nothing of her admiration for his manly beauty and military renown his style of life as the lord of mount vernon was almost baronial he had a chariot and four with black postilions in livery for the use of his wife while he himself always appeared on horseback the finest rider in virginia his house was filled with aristocratic visitors he had his stud of the highest breed his foxhounds and all the luxuries of a prosperous country gentleman his kitchens his smoke-houses his stables his stewards his tobacco-sheds his fields of wheat and corn his hundred cows his vast poultry-yards his barges all indicated great wealth and that generous hospitality which is now a tradition his time was passed in overseeing his large estate and in out-of-door sports following the hounds or fishing exchanging visits with prominent virginia families amusing himself with card-playing dancing and the social frivolities of the day but he neglected no serious affairs his farm his stock the sale of his produce were all admirably conducted and on a plane of widely recognized honor and integrity he took great interest in the state at large explored on foot the dismal swamp and projected its draining made several expeditions up the potomac and over the mountains laying out routes for new roads to the ohio country gained much influence in the house of burgesses and was among the foremost in discussing privately and publicly the relations of the colonies with the mother country thus nine years were passed in luxury in friendship and in the pleasures of a happy useful life What a contrast this life was to that of Samuel Adams in Boston at the same time, a man too poor to keep a single servant, or to appear in a decent suit of clothes, yet all the while the leader of the Massachusetts bar and legislature, and the most brilliant orator in the land. When the Stamp Act was passed by the infatuated Parliament of Great Britain, Washington was probably the richest man in the country, but as patriotic as Patrick Henry he deprecated a resort to arms and desired a reconciliation with england but was ready to abandon his luxurious life and buckle on his sword in defense of american liberties as a member of the first general congress although no orator his voice was heard in favor of freedom at any loss or hazard he was chairman of the committee on military affairs and did much to organize the defensive operations set on foot when the battle of lexington was fought and it became clear that only the sword could settle the difficulties Washington at the nomination of John Adams in the second Congress was unanimously chosen commander-in-chief of the American armies With frank acknowledgment of a doubt whether his abilities and experience were equal to the great trust and yet without reluctance He accepted the high and responsible command Pledging the exertion of all his powers under Providence to lead the country through its trials and difficulties He declined all pay for his services asking only that Congress would discharge his expenses of which he would keep an exact account And this he did to the penny doubtless no man in the colonies was better fitted for this exalted post his wealth his military experience his social position his political influence and his stainless character exciting veneration without envy marked out Washington as the leader of the American forces on the whole he was the foremost man in all the land for the work to be done in his youth he had been dashing adventurous and courageous almost to rashness but when the vast responsibilities of general-in-chief in in a life-and-death struggle weighed upon his mind his character seemed to be modified and he became cautious reticent prudent distant and exceedingly dignified he allowed no familiarity from the most beloved of his friends and the most faithful of his generals he stood out apart from men cold and reserved in manner though capable of the warmest affections he seemed conscious of his mission and its obligations resolved to act from the severest sense of duty fearless of praise or blame Though not indifferent to either he had no jealousy of his subordinates he selected so far as he was allowed by congress the best men for their particular duties and with almost unerring instinct so far as he had confidants they were green the ablest of his generals and hamilton the wisest of his counselors ostensibly his aide-de-camp but in reality his private secretary the officer to whom all great men in high position are obliged to confide their political secrets washington was the embodiment of both virtue and power in the eyes of his countrymen who gave him their confidence and never took it back in the darkest days of their calamities on the whole in spite of calumny and envy no benefactor was ever more fully trusted supremely fortunate even amid gloom and public duties this confidence he strove to merit as his highest reward such was washington when at the age of forty three he arrived at cambridge in massachusetts to take command of the american army a few days after the battle of bunker hill on the seventeenth of june seventeen seventy five although the english had been final victors at bunker hill the american militia behind their entrenchments under prescott had repulsed twice their number of the best soldiers of europe and retired at last only for want of ammunition washington was far from being discouraged by the defeat his question and comment show his feeling did the militia fight then the liberties of the country are safe it was his first aim to expel the enemy from boston where they were practically surrounded by the hastily collected militia of new england full of enthusiasm and confidence in the triumph of their cause but these forces had been injudiciously placed they were not properly entrenched they were imperfectly supplied with arms ammunition military stores uniforms and everything necessary for an army there was no commissary department nor was any department provided with adequate resources the soldiers were inexperienced raw sons of farmers and mechanics led by officers who knew but little of scientific warfare and numbered less than fifteen thousand effective men they were undisciplined and full of sectional jealousies electing for the most part their own officers who were too dependent upon their favor to enforce discipline washington's first task therefore was to bring order out of confusion to change the disposition of the forces to have their positions adequately fortified to effect military discipline and subordination of men to their officers to cultivate a large and general patriotism which should override all distinctions between the colonies this work went on rapidly but the lack of supplies became distressing at the close of july the men had but nine rounds of ammunition each and more was nowhere to be procured it was necessary to send messengers into almost every town to beg for powder and there were few mills in the country to manufacture it as the winter approached a new trouble appeared the brief enlistment terms of many of the men were expiring and wearied and discouraged without proper food and clothing these men withdrew from the army and the regiments rapidly decreased in numbers recruiting and re-enlisting in the face of such conditions became almost impossible yet washington's steady persistence his letters to congress his masterly hold on the siege of the british in boston his appeals for men and ammunition were actually successful his army was kept up by new and renewed material privateers sent out by him upon the sea secured valuable supplies henry knox a boston bookseller whom he had made colonel of artillery and dispatched to new york and ticonderoga returned to the camps with heavy cannon and ammunition the right wing of the american army was stationed at roxbury under general artemus ward and the left wing under major general charles lee and brigadier generals green and sullivan at prospect hill the headquarters of washington were in the center at cambridge with generals putnam and heath lee was not allied with the great virginia family of that name he was an englishman by birth somewhat of a military adventurer conceited vain and disobedient he afterwards came near wrecking the cause which he had ambitiously embraced ward was a native of massachusetts a worthy man but not distinguished for military capacity putnam was a gallant hero taken from the plow but more fitted to head small expeditions than for patient labor in siege operations or for commanding a great body of troops meanwhile the british troops some fifteen thousand veterans had remained inactive in boston under sir william howe who had succeeded gage unwilling or unable to disperse the militia who surrounded them or to prevent the fortification of point after point about the city by the americans it became difficult to get provisions the land side was cut off by the american forces and the supply ships from the sea were often wrecked or captured by washington's privateers at length the british began to think of evacuating boston and going to a more important point since they had ships and the control of the harbor no progress had been made thus far in the conquest of new england for it was thought unwise to penetrate into the interior with forces at command against the army of washington with a devoted population to furnish him provisions Howe could undoubtedly have held the New England capital, but it was not a great strategic point. What was it to occupy a city at the extreme end of the continent, when the British government expected to hear that the whole country was overrun? At last Washington felt strong enough to use his eight months' preparation for a sudden blow. He seized the heights, commanding the city, and his intention became evident. The active movement of the Americans towards an attack precipitated Howe's half-formed plan for evacuating the city and in a single day he and his army sailed away on March seventeenth, 1776. Washington made no effort to prevent the embarkation of the British troops, since it freed New England, not again to be the theater of military operations during the war. It was something to deliver the most populous part of the country from English domination and drive a superior army out of Massachusetts. The wonder is that the disciplined troops under the British generals, with guns and ammunition and ships, should not have dispersed in a few weeks the foes they affected to despise but washington had fought the long battle of patience and sagacity until he was ready to strike then by one bold sudden move he held the enemy at his mercy howe was outgeneraled and the american remained master of the field washington had accomplished his errand in new england he received the thanks of the congress and with his little army proceeded to new york where matters urgently demanded attention To my mind, the most encouraging part of the revolutionary struggle, until the surrender of Burgoyne at Saratoga, was that period of eight months when the British were cooped up in Boston, surrounded by the Americans, who had plenty of provisions even if they were deficient in military stores, when the Yankees were stimulated to enthusiasm by every influence which could be brought to bear upon them by their families, at no great distance from the seat of war, and when no great calamity had as yet overtaken them. But here everything like success for two years disappeared and a gloomy cloud hung over the land portentous of disasters and dismay evils thickened entirely unexpected which brought out what was greatest in the character and genius of washington for he was now the mainstay of hope the first patriotic gush of enthusiasm had passed away war under the most favorable circumstances is no play but under great difficulties has a dismal and rugged look before which delusions rapidly disappear england was preparing new and much larger forces she was vexed but not discouraged having unlimited resources for war money credit and military experience she proceeded to hire the services of seventeen thousand hessian and other german troops all europe looked upon the contest as hopeless on the part of a scattered population without credit or money or military stores or a settled army or experienced generals or a central power Washington saw, on every hand, dissensions, jealousies, abortive attempts to raise men, a Congress without power and without prestige, state legislatures, inefficient and timid, desertions without number and without redress, men returning to their farms either disgusted or feeling that there was no longer a pressing need of their services. End of Section 6